The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 1.12 says, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. In other words, Christians, you may know these things already and even be established in them, but it's important I still teach you these truths. We as Christians need to hear the truth again and again and again. Hearing the truth repeated is very beneficial for us all. One, it comes to us and confirms us in the truth. We know what we believe and we know why we believe it. Repeating the truth also helps us to hand over the truth to our children. It's not a mere tradition, but it is objective, biblical truth. And thirdly, as we hear the truth repeated, we're being taught and equipped to teach others the truth. When I used to work, there would always be the radio on. I never set out to memorize a single song. I didn't even like most of the songs. But because I would hear the same songs on the radio again and again and again, I came to know all the lyrics of those songs. It's the same with the preaching of the truth. You hear of the doctrines again and again and again, and you come to understand them better and are able to share them better. So it's always important for us to hear the truth again and again and again. The particular truth I want to focus on this evening is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The Apostle Paul teaches this doctrine in the book of Galatians. And he says it is so important, central and essential to the gospel In Galatians 1 verse 8, he says, Though we, or an angel, preach unto you any other gospel, let him be accursed. Again, I say to you, if we, or or an angel, or anyone, preach unto you any other gospel, let him be accursed. And for this reason, Martin Luther said, justification is the article of a standing or falling church. You get justification wrong, you're a false church. You get justification right, you're a true church. John Calvin agreed, justification is the main hinge on which salvation turns. It is the principal ground on which religion must be supported. Therefore, it's important that we are all established in the truth of justification by faith alone. And let me ask you honestly, are you established in the truth of justification by faith alone? 
Well, this evening, I hope to have an overview of the doctrine to at least help you or confirm to you what we do believe. And we'll look at justification under five headings. One, the meaning of justification. Two, the subjects of justification. Three, the ground of justification. Four, the instrument of justification. And five, the blessing of justification. First of all then, the meaning of justification. You will notice as we read Romans 3 and 4, the word to justify is used throughout. For example, in verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Now what is this word justify? If you've ever heard R.C. Sproul or read R.C. Sproul preach on justification, then you would have heard him again and again and again say, that for 50 years he preached this doctrine to multiple churches all around the United States and he would often go to Christians and ask what is justification and in his own experience he says very few Christians get the question right. But I would encourage you to memorise the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 33. Because if we struggle to answer the question, what is justification, question 33 will help you in a very concise and precise way to define it. And if someone was to ask you, what is justification, would you get the answer right? Now, what is justification? Well, I want to say two things what it's not. The first is a general evangelical answer, which defines justification as the forgiveness of sins. Now, forgiveness of sins is a benefit of justification, but justification is not defined by forgiveness. Second error comes from um, Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. They will say to justify means to make one righteous. That is, you yourselves become righteous. It's a moral change within you to keep God's law and God sees your righteousness and therefore says you're righteous because of your good works. This is an error and is not the meaning of justification. So if someone ever says, what is justification? Never say to make us righteous. So what is positively justification? The word simply means to declare and announce righteous. The word itself comes from the law courts where you have a judge and there's a person standing before the judge 
and he is announcing or declaring one righteous. It doesn't change you. It doesn't transform you. It simply announces your standing. And this understanding of justification is not a Western Protestant view of jurisprudence enforced upon the Bible, but it's the very teaching of the Bible. Remember, by the witness of two or three witnesses, doctrine is established. And when you look at the word justification in the Bible, it always, always means to be declared righteous. Let me give you some examples. Deuteronomy 25 verse 1. If there be a controversy between men and they come unto judgment that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. The judge is not making people righteous. He's declaring them righteous. Proverbs 17.15 He that justifies the wicked... And he that condemns the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. It makes no sense whatsoever, it means change. He who makes the wicked righteous, and he who makes the just unrighteous. It makes no sense, it's an announcement. If you announce the wicked are righteous, it's an abomination. And if you announce condemnation to the just, to the righteous, that's an abomination. It clearly means to announce. Luke seven twenty nine. All the people heard him, and the publicans justified God. Did the people make God righteous? No. They heard what he had to say, and they declared God is righteous. And so from the Hebrew mindset... From the Pauline understanding of the scriptures, justification is never to make someone righteous, to change them to be righteous, but is a law term to make, sorry, to announce and declare righteous. And so Paul uses this language throughout. In verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be declared righteous in his sight. So justification is God declaring us righteous in his sight. Secondly, the subjects of justification. That is, who receives justification? Who is going to be justified? According to Roman Catholics, the righteous are justified. According to Eastern Orthodoxy, the righteous are justified. But what does the Bible say? The Bible clearly teaches that sinners are justified. Chapter 3, verse 9 to 23. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, they are all under sin and we can read the list. There's no one righteous, no not one. None understands. None that seeks God. 
All have gone out of the way. All are unprofitable. None does good or kindness as we saw this morning. Their throat is an open sepulchre again and again and again. It is sinners. Sinners who are declared righteous. And this is made so clear in chapter 4 verse 5. Look at this word here. Who is justified before God? But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, him that justifies the ungodly. Who does God justify? Who does God declare righteous? The righteous? No. The sinner. The ungodly. And in the Bible, the ungodly are those who are wicked and sinful. For example, Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter. Jude verse 15. God comes to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is the kind of man, woman, or child God declares righteous in his sight. And this is why it's good news. This is why it is the best and most wonderful of news. Because Jesus Christ himself says in Mark 2, They that are whole have no need of the physician. But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is good news for me and for you and for the whole world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Creatures who are sons of Adam, imputed by his guilt, who are polluted by the stain of sin in their ungodliness. God comes to such a person and says, I declare you righteous in my sight. This is good news. Thirdly, the ground of justification. On what basis are we declared righteous in God's sight? Chapter 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace. Freely by his grace. Grace we know as the undeserved free gift of God. And Paul goes out of his way to know grace is opposite to works. It's not grace enables you to do good works in order to be justified but in terms of justification grace and works are diametrically opposed do not take my word for it chapter 4 verses 4 to 5 to him that works not 
but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Sorry, verse 4. My apologies. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if you're trying to work justification, if you're trying to work righteousness in order to be justified before God, it's not grace to you. It's the debt that you owe in whole, perfect, sinless obedience to God. Or Romans chapter 11, verses 5 to 6. Romans chapter 11, verses 5 to 6. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So we're saved by grace. Verse 6. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Paul, I think it's actually impossible, impossible for Paul to be clearer. Grace is antithetical to works. So we are declared righteous not by grace enabling us to do works and then being justified, but it is a free, undeserved gift from God upon the ungodly. And this is absolutely amazing. This is the wonder and astonishment of grace. This is the very scandal of Christianity. It is all of grace. It should overwhelm our souls. A king or a president may pardon a guilty criminal, but never declare them righteous. But here is the King of kings and the Lord of lords coming to ungodly, guilty, wicked, cosmic criminals and he says, as a free gift, you're righteous in my sight. The whole world hates this. You go to any religion you can. You go to the atheist and this free gift idea is abhorrent in their sight they must contribute something there has to be some work in it whether it's the jew or the muslim or the hindu or the roman catholic or the eastern orthodox or the jehovah's witness or the mormon or even the atheist on the street there must be something we can do no it is a free gift not of works But this grace, this free gift, is not a thing or an it. This free grace is Jesus Christ himself. Because what's the whole verse? Verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God and his attributes are identical. God does not have grace. 
He does not have love. He doesn't have mercy. He is love. He is mercy. He is grace. And God's grace is he gives himself and his whole being to save us as a free gift. And that is Jesus Christ, who is God, coming in human flesh in order to redeem us and justify us in the sight of God. There's these little phrases in the Old Testament. They speak of God and his coming righteousness. Whether it's Jeremiah 23, where he says that the branch will come and he is the Lord, our righteousness. We're not the righteousness. He is the righteousness. But he's not come yet in Jeremiah's time. Or in Isaiah, you read so many chapters in Jeremiah and it's the language of my righteousness is near, my righteousness are coming, or Isaiah 45, righteousness is coming down from heaven. But in Isaiah's time, he's not come yet. But 2,000 years ago, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, in Bethlehem, Jehovah has come. God has come. Righteousness has come. Why is this important? God, who is righteous, has been sinned against. What's the worth and value of the righteousness of God? Infinite. Infinite. So when Adam fell and his sin was imputed to man, it is an infinite offence against the infinitely righteous God. And every time we do actual sins ourselves, it's a sin against the infinite righteousness of God. So if that's the, the, the debt, what would pay off that debt? Where if you're a thousand dollars in debt, you need to pay a thousand dollars. If you're a hundred grand in debt, you need to pay a hundred grand. And so if God's righteousness is infinitely offended, what will pay that debt? An equal equivalent. An infinite righteousness. And what is the value and worth of Jesus Christ's righteousness? It's the righteousness of God. That's why you read that phrase in the scriptures again and again. For example, Romans chapter 1, 16 to 17. Read it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, what is the worth of this gospel? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So what is Christ's righteousness? It's the righteousness of God. Or Romans chapter 3, 25 to 26. No, sorry, 21 to 22. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. This is why it's necessary that he's both God and man. A man to be our substitute, 
but God, so that his righteousness is of equal worth and value as God himself. So if God sent an angel in perfect righteousness, it wouldn't be enough to satisfy his righteousness. If God sent a mere man to perfectly obey the law of God and be righteous, it would not be enough. And if God by his grace was to enable us to even be perfectly, spotlessly righteousness, it would not be enough. Because God's infinite righteousness must be met with the righteousness of God himself. And is that not Jesus Christ? In verses 25 to 26 of Romans chapter 3, God have set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. When he was made of a woman, made under the law, he fulfilled all righteousness with perfect spotless law keeping and the value of that is divine. God, infinite. And when he was a sacrifice on that cross, the wrath bearer, the sin substitute, what worth is that sacrifice? Infinite righteousness so that God's righteousness would be placarded and that God would be just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus and so what is the ground of righteousness Jesus Christ himself 1 Corinthians 1:30 God has made him Jesus to be our wisdom righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What's that second benefit there? Jesus Christ is our righteousness. And this gift of Jesus Christ and his righteousness comes to us by imputation. If you look at chapter 4, I can't remember how many times off by heart, I think it's 10 or 11 times, the word imputation is used. Sometimes it's translated counted, Reckoned, imputed, it's the exact same word. Chapter 4, verse 3. For what says the scriptures, quoting Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted, imputed, reckoned unto him for righteousness. Verse 5. To him that does not work, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, counted, imputed. Verse 6, David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes, counts, reckons righteousness. This word comes straight from the marketplace where you have an account. Maybe you're a regular at a particular stall or store and you go there and they can look up their computer computer to use modern terminology. And they'll look at your name. That's your account. Are you in debt? Are you in good standing? Do they owe you? What's your credit? They're looking on your account. 
And so this word means when you come to Christ, his perfect, spotless, infinite God righteousness is imputed to your account. Your sin has been transferred to his account. So judicially, as a judge, when God looks at your account, he can't see your sin anymore. It's gone. Christ has it. But when he does look on your account, what does he see? Christ's perfect, spotless, infinite righteousness. So when God as a holy judge looks at Craig Scott's account, perfect, infinite righteousness. This means we're righteousness as God before God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God the Father has made him, God the Son, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A Christian can never be more righteous. Not even in heaven. You can become more holy, but you can never become more righteous. The saints in heaven right here, right now, are not more righteous than you right here, right now. Because you both have the same righteousness of Christ imputed to your account. A million, billion years into eternity, you will never ever become more righteous in the sight of God. Because it's the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account. You will become more holy, but never more righteous. Isn't this good news? Because you know, even in the realm of sanctification, with grace enabling you to do good works, how mixed with sin your righteousness is. But yet, because it's a free, free gift, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to your account. Fourthly, the instrument of justification. How are we justified before God? The Bible is very clear. Faith, faith alone, without any works. Look at verses 27 and 28 of Romans chapter 3. Where there is boasting then, it is excluded. Why? By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without, apart from, excluding the deeds of the law. Or look at chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. If Abraham were justified by works, he has something to glory in, but not before God. Why? Because the Bible tells us, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted imputed unto him for righteousness. Verse 5, to him that does not work, but believes on him. That justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. And Paul's so clear elsewhere. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. 
knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. God the Holy Spirit, who inspired all the writers of Scripture and the Apostle Paul himself, is crystal clear. We are righteous by a declaration of God as a free gift by faith alone, excluding any works. And this is why we believe in sola fide, justification by faith alone. Anyone who professes themselves to be a Christian will say justification by faith. Mormons will accept that. Jehovah's Witnesses will accept that. Seventh-day Adventists will accept that. Roman Catholics will accept that. The Eastern Orthodox will accept that. Every single person who calls themselves a Christian of any Orthodox or cultish standing will all say justification by faith. But it's not enough. It is not enough. Because every single one who I have just mentioned would put and. Faith and baptism. Faith and obedience. Faith and submission to the church. Faith and insert. But the Apostle Paul says exclusive, outside of, without. And that's why we say faith alone justifies. But since the great recovery of this beautiful doctrine in 15, possibly 19, by Martin Luther, the Protestant church has been under attack. Those who are Roman Catholic, those who are Eastern Orthodox, will say that this doctrine is a novel doctrine, invented in the 1500s, by Protestants who have a certain Western mindset and was never taught in church history. Is that true? Well, in one sense, it doesn't really matter. Because the authority is not what men says, not even what the church says, but sola scriptura, the scripture is authoritative and sufficient. So, the Bible was our authority, nevertheless. The truth of the gospel was not in AD 60s and 90s and then nothing till 1517 or 1519. The truth of justification by faith without works has always been present in the church. As the Bible says, by the witness of two or three witnesses, truth is established. Let's look at three witnesses from the early church. Here are three fathers teaching clearly justification by faith without works. Clement of Rome in the first century in his epistle to the Corinthians. All the ancient fathers descended from Abraham both before the law and under the law were glorified and magnified not through themselves 
not through their works of righteousness which they have done, but through God's will. Therefore we also being called through his will in Christ Jesus are not justified through ourselves, neither through our own wisdom or understanding or piety or works which we have done in holiness of heart, but through faith, that faith through which the Almighty God hath justified all that ever lived. To whom be glory forever. Amen. That's crystal clear. Basil of Caesarea, or Basil the Great, one of the three Cappadocian fathers. This is the true and perfect glorying in God. When a man is not lifted up on account of his own righteousness, but has known himself to be wanting in true righteousness and to be justified by faith alone in Christ. And Paul glories in that he despises his own righteousness and seeks the righteousness which is through Christ, even the righteousness which is from God by faith. Thou hast not known God through righteousness on thy part, but God hath known thee on account of his righteousness. Thou hast not apprehended Christ through thy virtue, but Christ has apprehended thee through his coming. We spoke of Ambrose of Milan this morning. What does he believe about justification? Without the works of the law to an ungodly man, that is to say a Gentile, believing in Christ, his faith is imputed for righteousness, as also it was to Abraham. How then can the Jews imagine that through the works of the law they are justified with the justification of Abraham, when they see that Abraham was justified not by the works of the law, but by faith alone? There is no need therefore of the law, since through faith alone an ungodly man is justified by God. Very clear. I'm not saying every church father believes in this. Augustine didn't. But I'm saying key church fathers believed in justification by faith alone. So it's not a novel doctrine. It was taught and preached and written upon. And yes, it was lost for many, many, many centuries in the darkness. But then the light that shine out of the darkness. And sola fide, justification by faith alone, which is the biblical and historical doctrine, came alive again to the saving of souls. Fifthly and lastly, the blessing of justification. This is what we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. We are righteous in God's sight. Romans three twenty-eight. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Or Romans five one, therefore being justified by faith. The fact we are right in the eyes of God. And justified in the Greek is very, very particular. In English, 
Our language isn't precise like other languages, but Greek is very precise. The grammar of the word here means a once and for all action. Once and for all. We are justified once and for all. Your justification cannot change. You cannot be righteousness before God on a Monday and then unrighteous before God on a Tuesday. You are justified once and for all. That's how God sees you, brother and sister in Christ. If you are exercising faith in Jesus Christ, you are righteous now and forever. Second blessing, the full free forgiveness. Romans chapter 4 verses 6 to 8 where the Apostle Paul applies justification because you're righteous by imputation, by faith alone, what have you received? Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. Quoting Psalm 32 verses 1 to 2. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Full and free forgiveness of all your sins. He will not retain his anger forever, but he has cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7. Psalm 103, as far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. Hebrews 8, Hebrews 11, where God says, so Hebrews 10 that is, I will blot out your sins and remember them no more. Full and free pardon of every single sin because you have the righteousness of Christ on your account. Third blessing, peace. Romans 5.1 Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Remember when we looked at peace in the fruit of the Spirit. Biblical peace is not to be watered down to mere, there's no war. Remember, biblical peace, shalom, is healthy, prosperous, well-being relationship. That's what we are with God. That can never be broken. We will always be at peace with God. It can never change. God will never be at war with us ever, ever again. He may be a father who loves us and when he sees us sin, may lovingly chasten us, Hebrews 12. But it's a fatherly, loving correction. The peace has never been broken. Fourth blessing. The right to heaven. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. We are assured of heaven. Not ifs, not buts, not maybes. I'm sure we've all used this popular uh, evangelistic um, method. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? Heaven or hell and why? 
and the Christian long could say straight to heaven. Arrogant, presumptive. How can you say that? Nothing to do with me. In fact, it was up to me, and because of me and in me, I would be in hell. But Christ's righteousness counted to me by faith alone. And therefore the word promises and guarantees in Christ, I'm going to heaven. Not maybes, not possibly, not I'm hopeful in the sense of possibility, but I know where I'm going when I die. I'm going to be with my Lord and Saviour in heaven. That's the blessing of it. Some words of application. One, have faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have faith in the doctrine of sola fide. That won't save you. But faith in Jesus Christ saves you. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, everything that I have just said, not because I say it, but because it's the teaching of the Holy Scriptures, is true of every single one of you who believe. Have faith in Jesus Christ and know you're justified. Secondly, enjoy your justification. Enjoy your justification. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. As Luther famously said, just and sinner at the same time. And yes, we're growing in holiness, but because of indwelling sin, we faint and fail, but God does fail us never. And when you do sin, when you do come short, when you do lack, do not question your righteous standing before God. And if you're someone who's lacking assurance or doubting, here's where you go to. You don't start with sanctification. You start with justification. Justification by faith alone is your starting point to know you're right before God. This is not to deny that sanctification is a means of assurance. It absolutely is but it's never your starting point. It's what Christ has done and freely given to you by faith alone. Because if you know you're justified with God and you have peace, you cannot but have joy and comfort and assurance. And knowing you're justified by faith alone, therefore you know the law as a covenant of works no longer condemns you, but Christ has taken care of that. Romans 8, 3-4. So now you're free to grow in holiness without the fear of, well, if I don't obey, then I can't be justified on a Tuesday. Freedom and liberty and assurance, comfort and enjoyment of your justification. Thirdly, know and defend justification. Don't just say I believe it because the Westminster Standards or the three forms of unity teach it. Don't just say I believe it because October 31st we all remember Martin Luther nailing the thesis to the cross, uh, to the door. But know what you believe and why you believe it. Have an intelligent, biblical reason for the hope that's within you. And defend it. As Jude says, we're called to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. 
because this doctrine is heaven or hell, black and white, lying in the sand, faith alone or hell. Sadly, even men like G.I. Packer compromised the doctrine. When he and Chuck Colson and many others wrote evangelicals and Catholics together, they said, we're all brothers in Christ. And R.C. Sproul wrote to him and others to say, what are you doing? What's going on? And publicly, G.I. Packer said, justification is important, but not central to the gospel. I'm not doing this as a veiled attack against G.I. Packer, but simply to say even well-known men who are reformed have compromised upon this doctrine. I'm not saying G.I. Packer's not a brother in Christ. I'm not saying don't read his books. I'm greatly edified by his books. All I'm saying is he was wrong in his evaluation of justification. And therefore, when someone comes to you, you can biblically, lovingly, and reasonably defend your doctrine. Fourthly and last application, share this doctrine. This is, after all, good news for sinners. With people with burdens on their backs and heavy laden and guilty consciences. And if they are looking for God, they're trying to get their lives right so they can be right with God. They're trying to clean up their lives. Tell them they can't clean up their lives. But here's something that will completely and utterly save you. Justification by faith alone is a free gift. And remember that faith which justifies is never alone. Because all who are justified will be sanctified. And in sanctification will be utterly, radically transformed by the Holy Spirit. But here is good news for the ungodly. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that doctrine is the means of comfort, joy, peace, growth. And we are grateful that this doctrine of justification by faith alone is expounded in the scriptures and is life-giving for us all. Help us all to believe, love this wonderful doctrine and help us to always be established in it, never to be bored by it, but to always rejoice every single time we hear this preached or read it in a book. And oh, we pray that thou wouldst keep the church faithful on this hinge of salvation. We pray that thou wouldst give men and women in this nation, in this church, and knowledge to declare and defend this truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.